Mark chapter 4 and verses 26 through 29 will be our text this morning as we're moving through the kingdom parables here in Mark's gospel. Jesus continues his teaching, and in verse 26, he said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. This is a wonderful, short, simple statement about the kingdom of God. Jesus tells us that when he begins, the kingdom of God is as if. And then he goes and describes the parable of the seed. I think we would agree, would we not, that we live in a constant flux of uncertainty. We don't know what tomorrow will bring. We don't know what the next hour will bring. We can hardly even remember what happened this morning. We are constantly in a flux of uncertainty about what is past, about what is ahead. But in this parable, Jesus teaches that the kingdom of God is something that is certain, and it leads to a certain outcome. It's not like the kingdoms of men. Right now, and as has been the case throughout history since the fall of man, kingdoms, families, local governments are constantly maneuvering for power sometimes in more blatant ways than others. But the constant maneuvering of those in power, Jesus will address them later in Mark chapter 10. This is how the rulers of the Gentiles do it. They lord over, and they're constantly trying to lord over. And there's a constant flux, and there's a constant turnover, and a constant shifting of power. That is not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is certain it's certain, and what it will ultimately accomplish. Now, when we think of the kingdom of God, we probably tend to think in terms of something conceptual, right? An idea, perhaps. It's something we hear about. What is, what is the kingdom of God? It seems like it's something far, far away and rather vague and undefined. We need to kind of put a warning sign in our mind that says, caution, when our mind goes in that direction about the kingdom of God. If it's something that's vague and undefined, we need to put a caution sign there and rein our thoughts into the description of it because what we understand of the kingdom of God and what the Bible teaches, what the Bible teaches us about the kingdom of God and entering the kingdom of God and being a part of the kingdom of God, your, your eternity rests on that. Your eternity rests on that. As Jesus in this gospel proclaims the gospel, he is proclaiming that the kingdom of God is at hand in his presence. He has come. 
and that people must repent and believe the gospel in order to enter the kingdom of God. And as he does that and teaches about the kingdom in these parables, he's using concrete and everyday pictures to communicate what the kingdom of God is. And to some, it's, it's concealed. To those who are unbelieving, but to others, it's revealed. In fact, in Matthew chapter 13, as Jesus is explaining the parables to his disciples, he asks them, do you understand these things? And they say, yes, we do. And he says, good, because you're going to be the stewards that from these parables bring out treasure about the kingdom of God. The, this teaching is, is, the, is the seed of what you will ultimately proclaim as you go out as my authoritative representatives to preach as witnesses to me and the record that we have in Acts and the inspired writings then of the epistles. And so Jesus, as he's teaching about the kingdom, he's using these concrete everyday pictures. Some, someone sowing a field, rising early in the morning, seeing the barren field filled fill with plants and ultimately ripen into food was something that, that Jesus' audience experienced daily and annually, right? Just look at the simplicity of what Jesus describes there again in verse 26. It's as if a man should scatter seed on the ground, right? You, you probably have done that in your yard, scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day. You know, we all slept and we rose. We're here, right, this morning? We're not in bed. We slept and we rose. And while that's taking place, while he's in that rhythm, the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, and the full grain in the ear. Drive up 71 to Columbus and you'll see the outcome of that. You see it, it's all around us. And in the agrarian society where Jesus was teaching, people would literally walk through these fields daily in their daily business. The kingdom of God is real. The rule of God is is real. The ultimate culmination of all things in Christ is real. Your eternal destiny is real. In First Peter 1 and verses, verse 13, he urges us to, to live in that reality. He says, be sober in anticipation of the revelation of Christ. In fact, set your hope fully, completely, tell us, set your hope completely on the revelation of Jesus Christ. This is real. This is going to happen. It's as certain as the process of the seed time and ultimately the harvest. Jesus' proclamation of the gospel confronts the hearers with that same with the same question over and over are you a citizen of the kingdom of god have you repented of your sins and believed the gospel throughout scripture we find and this is still by way of introduction that that earthly kingdoms rise and fall in daniel 
Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar saw a vision of a, of a huge statue. And then a stone that was cut out without hands that came and crushed that statue. And when he was looking for the interpretation of that vision, Daniel told him, and you don't need to turn there, but it's in chapter 2, verses 31 through 45 is the whole account. But in Daniel 2, 44 and 45, as Daniel concludes, as he concludes his explanation of the dream, Daniel says, in those days, or in the days of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever, just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the the iron and the bronze and the clay and the silver and the gold. A great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation, sure. God's kingdom will ultimately be successful. It's the only kingdom where the success is certain. It progresses according to the plan of God. It reaches a final and sudden point of culmination. Eternal destinies will be sealed, and the rule of God in the new heavens and new earth will be unalterably established. The theme that will unfold from this passage this morning is that the kingdom of God will certainly succeed. The kingdom of God will certainly succeed. So let's begin by identifying first a picture of certainty. First point this morning is a picture of a certainty. And what I'm going to do is just establish here that the, the parable, what Jesus states in this common experience that we observe that has been happening ages and ages, thousands and thousands of years, Jesus is establishing a picture of certainty. And in so doing, he's moving, he's moving from the individual responses of the Word of God in the first two sections. Remember the parable of the sower? The theme of that parable was that you have to receive God's Word to enter the kingdom of God. Right? You receive God's Word. That's, that's the basis of entry, is a true hearing of God's Word. And then the parable of the lamp and the measure is listen to God's Son to understand the kingdom of God. Now, what's so important about entering the kingdom of God and what's so important about understanding the kingdom of God? Well, the kingdom of God is going to succeed, And so Jesus is moving from the individual responses of the Word of God to the overall movement of the kingdom of God. He draws a line of comparison from the kingdom of God to the picture he presents 
of the sowing, the progression of growth, and ultimately the harvest. Again, look at it in verse 26. The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. The emphasis of this parable is on the process of growth. The sower and the seed are there to carry the account, if you will, but the emphasis is on the progression of that seed being sown on the ground and then what happens to it once it is sown. That it grows, that it increases and produces ultimately the full grain in the ear. The entire parable and what Jesus is teaching rests on the cycle of seed time and harvest. Now, I've already made a a statement that Jesus is teaching the certainty of the kingdom of God, the certainty of the kingdom of God. And probably when we think about crops and seed time and harvest, you know, we can be somewhat pessimistic. Well, what about famines? What about uh, floods and all of those things that destroy crops? Understandable, they do. But there is an underlying certainty And I want to show you why that is the case. Turn, if you will, back to Genesis, your first first book in your Bible, Genesis chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. The first two chapters give us the account of creation, chapter 3, the fall, chapter 4 through... Six and seven, the, the spiraling wickedness of man leading to the flood. After the flood, after Noah comes out of the ark, we have the second significant promise in Scripture. Scripture is God's unfolding revelation. It starts with the promise of the seed of the woman, that the seed of the woman will crush the serpent's head. And then the second major promise that we have here is is the Noahic covenant where after the flood, when God establishes now Noah and his family, they're the only humans on earth. But remember, God has promised that there's a seed coming that will crush the serpent's head which implies that there's going to be generations and generations of people until that seed comes. And in the Noahic covenant, at the end of chapter 8, look at verse 21 as Noah offers the sacrifice. It says, And when the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma, the Lord said in his heart, I will never again curse the ground because of man. For the intention of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I ever again strike down every living creature as I have done. While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. This is a remarkable statement. And I want you to notice that God, God is speaking to himself. He's not, he's not saying, Noah, you offered this sacrifice and so... 
I'm going to concede and do this. No, he's saying, this is my promise to myself. This is my promise based on my character of who I am. It's a promise of mercy that even though man's heart is still evil, yet in my mercy, I'm going to be sure and ensure the continuation of man's existence to the point, verse 22, that while the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. Folks, why, why has there been millennium after millennium after millennium of harvests worldwide? Because of the Word of God. Because God promised, I will sustain this process. And it's built in with the promise that he would ultimately bring forth a seed that would crush the serpent's head in the person as revelation unfolds in the person of Jesus Christ. The process of seed time and harvest The process of planting and reaping is a process that is designed by God and that is upheld by the promises of God. It is certain. And yes, there are times of famine and flood and and pestilence and all of those things in certain places, but as a whole, the promise of God endures. And Jesus builds then this parable on the certainty of God's promise to maintain the seasons, to provide seeds, to cause the sun to set and rise on a daily basis. All of those things, all of those things that we take for granted, that we don't really even think about. And that's what he says about the man who, who planted. He sleeps and rises, right? And, and, the ear produces, and, and he doesn't know how. He doesn't even think about it. Why? Because it's God that's doing the work. What's happening, the fruitfulness, the progression, is based on the promises of God. All the processes that contribute to that progress of the crop, though, ultimately culminate in the sudden harvest. Right? Look at that in verse 29. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain. But, but when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. So Jesus, in essence, is saying this. The kingdom of God is like this process that is so certain you hardly even think about it. Once the seed is sown, you don't even know or notice how it grows, but it does, and it culminates in the point of harvest. While while earth remains, seed time and harvest shall not cease. This is a picture of certainty. So now that we've established what Jesus is putting forth in this very common story, this common picture, let's think about the certainty of the kingdom of God. Remember, our theme is that the kingdom of God will certainly succeed. 
We've seen first that there's a picture he's using, he's employing, Christ is employing a picture of certainty. Now let's consider the certainty of progress. The certainty of progress. Once the seed is sown, it will grow and ultimately produce fruit. It's very simple. Verse 27, the man sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows. While he's sleeping and rising, the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. Once a seed is sown, it will grow and ultimately produce fruit. And Jesus is saying, the kingdom of God is like this. There's a certainty of progress. There's a certainty of progress. Now let's unfold this a little bit. We've seen throughout Scripture, even coming to this point in the Gospels, that God reveals Himself, He reveals His plan in an unfolding manner. And in Luke chapter 16 and verse 16, Jesus says the law and the prophets were until John. And Christ, Christ is the one in whom the kingdom of God now has come near you. There's an unfolding point of revelation as Christ came. And go ahead and turn to that passage. Look look at it there in, in Luke 16, verse 16. It's one of those passages that's important, one of those keys to understanding the unfolding revelation of God's Word, and it's just good to look at it in our Bibles and know where it is. Luke 16, verse 16, Jesus says, "...the law and the prophets were until John. Since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached." And everyone forces his way into it. He makes a distinction. The law and the prophets served their purpose ultimately to be fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And upon his arrival then, since then, the good news of the kingdom of God is preached. There is a point of fulfillment in Christ that initiated the preaching of the gospel. Christ is the starting point of the gospel of the kingdom of God, of the good news of the kingdom of God. In Mark 14.25, and and what we're doing here, again, we're just kind of backing up and unfolding the certainty of progress. Jesus says the kingdom of God is like the seed that's planted and that's going to grow. So what does that look like in relation to the kingdom of God with the revelation that we have? Well, in Mark 14.25, Jesus, as he initiates the new covenant in his blood, and as he establishes what we call communion or the Lord's table and remembering his death, Jesus says this, this is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. 
And the important thing about that statement for us to to see here this morning is that Jesus is anticipating, he's expecting some kind of material culmination of the kingdom of God, right? He says in verse 25, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine. There's a material culmination. He's anticipating drinking of the fruit of the vine, but I will not do it until that day when I drink it in the new, in the kingdom of God. There's a material culmination coming of the kingdom of God. And he's making that statement while establishing the new covenant in his blood. So from, from the beginning point of Christ to the material fulfillment When he drinks of the vine new in the kingdom of God, something needs to take place for the growth of the kingdom of God related to the blood of Christ. Something needs to take place for the growth of the kingdom of God related to the blood of Christ. In Acts chapter 1, after Jesus has risen from the dead, Luke records for us in verse 3 that he's talking to his disciples. And he's talking to them about, guess what? The kingdom of God. What happens in the book of Acts? Well, the book of Acts is the record of the apostles being witnesses for the Lord Jesus Christ and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom of God and establishing the church as they proclaim Christ, as they bear witness to Christ, the resurrected Christ from the scriptures. But if you come to the book, the end of the book of Acts, the end of the book of Acts In chapter 28, remember at the beginning, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God. He commissions his disciples to preach the kingdom of God, to be witnesses to him. And he converts Paul, who's a missionary, who's a witness of Christ to the Gentiles. And when we come to the end of the book of Acts, the, the record, the end of the record of, of the New Testament expansion of the gospel, what do we find Paul doing? Look at verse 23. As Paul's in Rome, in jail, imprisoned, Acts 28, verse 23, when they had appointed a day for him, they came to him at his lodging in great numbers. And from morning till evening, he expounded to them, testifying to the kingdom of God and trying to convince them about Jesus, both from the law of Moses and from the prophets. It goes on to say some were convinced, others would not believe. But what is he doing? He's expounding to them. He's testifying of the kingdom of God. And at the end of the book of Acts, look at the last two verses, verses 30 30 and 31. Paul lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. 
Here is Paul. He's been entrusted with the administration of the mystery of the gospel. That's what he testifies to in Ephesians 3. And what is he doing as we have the record of his activity and the record of his teaching? He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's proclaiming the gospel. He's proclaiming the Lord Jesus Christ and telling people, urging people to prepare themselves because the king is coming. And you can look at the other records of his teaching back in Acts 17, for example. But it's interesting then how our Bible is set up, isn't it? That then say, well, what was his teaching like? Well, welcome to Romans. The gospel of the kingdom of God. Jesus preached that entrance into the kingdom of God required belief, and the gospel and repentance. And he established the fullness of the gospel, the fullness of the good news of the kingdom of God through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus is preaching the kingdom of God is at hand. God rules God rules through his son. God is going to establish his king. And the way that you enter the kingdom of God is by responding to the king and repenting of your sins, not being a Jew, not doing good works enough to get you into the kingdom of God. No, you can't. It's by repenting of your sin and believing in the Lord Jesus Christ alone for salvation. That's entrance into the kingdom of God. Believing in the finished work of Christ and coming into saving relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, your elder brother. That's the kingdom of God. And as the gospel then is proclaimed, as Christ and the fullness of his work is proclaimed, the kingdom of God grows and ripens. It's certain. Why are you sitting here today listening to the word of God being proclaimed? Because the kingdom of God is growing and it's ripening. And it's been doing that for 2,000 years. You, you are witnesses of the certainty of the progress of the kingdom of God. Just like the seed has in its DNA to grow, so also the gospel will most assuredly grow and expand and ripen. It progresses. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, progresses through the proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so this is, this is great encouragement, is it not? For us, for those who are in Christ, to obey Christ's commission to make disciples of all nations, to proclaim the gospel, to proclaim the word of God, to sow the seed of the word of God, to shine the light of the word of God and the person of Jesus Christ on the scriptures and to call people to repentance because the kingdom of God will certainly progress. 
And so we sow the gospel, we make disciples, we evangelize with a, with a confidence and an assurance that the kingdom of God will continue to move forward. The, continu- the kingdom of God will continue to ripen. It's certain. The certainty of progress. And it's that certainty then that becomes for those in Christ a catalyst for faithfulness. Paul urges this, that based on the the ultimate culmination, the ultimate resurrection, the certainty of progress and the certainty of fulfillment, that we would faithfully serve the Lord. You, You might not see, you might not see the immediate changes. You might not see someone respond as you clarify the person of Christ to them as you present them with the reality that they are dead in their trespasses and sins. You might not see that. There might be no response. There might be scoffing. And and you have to leave that conversation and go to bed and rise. And go to bed and rise. It's that way in our homes, right? We teach our children the gospel. And we go to bed and we rise. We go to bed and we rise. We plant the seed, plant the seed out of faithfulness to the Lord, knowing that ultimately His purposes and His kingdom will progress according to His will. There's a certainty of progress. And so we're relieved of the burden of, you know, how do I make this seed grow? You can't. You didn't make the seed in the first place. How do I make the Word of God effective? You can't. You didn't write the Word of God in the first place. You're simply a steward to tell others what Christ has done, has revealed in the Scripture, and what He calls them to do as urged in the Scripture. The certainty of progress. But there is another point of certainty in this passage, and it's in verse 29. The picture of the crop growing and ultimately having the full ear gives way in verse 29 to the harvest. But when the grain is ripe, At once, he puts in the sickle. The word is actually, he sends in the sickle because the harvest has come. Now, built within this parable is certainly an exhortation for us to be faithful in evangelism. That's part of the progress of the kingdom of God. But the parable is broader than simply evangelism and making disciples. And what tips us off to that is where it ends. You know, Paul talks about his work of evangelism. He, he plants and other waters, and God gives the fruit. But there's no mention of harvest. Here there's a mention of harvest. And it's sudden. But when the grain is ripe, at once he sends out the, the sickle. At once he sends out the sickle because the harvest has come. 
And probably if you are driving up or down 74 to Indianapolis or 71 to Columbus, and in the nighttime, what are you seeing? You're seeing combines out in those fields. Why? Because at once the harvest has come, they got to bring it in. There's a suddenness and a finality to this picture. After the period of growth and ripening, the harvest is ready. The reign of God will certainly be permanently established. A harvest is coming. The the harvest is a point of finality. And and I'd like us to just look at one passage that, that fills this out. Back in Matthew 13, in the parallel passage of Jesus parabolic teaching, Matthew chapter 13, that the parable is not exactly the same. And, and often what we understand of Jesus' teaching is that he would, he would teach these parables and he would teach them repeatedly. And so the collection that we have from the different gospel writers is, is a collection of the different uh, variations with which Jesus would use these common experiences to teach about the kingdom of God. So although the exact parable is not the same, yet Jesus makes a very clear point of interpretation, gives his disciples a very clear point of interpretation regarding the harvest. Look at verse 41, and and this is an explanation of the parable of the weeds. And we're just jumping right in here at the end of this parable. Verse 41, the Son of Man... Actually, you know, we need to look at verse 40. It sets up verse 41. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the close of the age. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of the Father. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus makes the point and interprets the point of harvest as a as the final culmination of the kingdom of God, of, of the gathering and the final judgment between the righteous and the wicked. And in Jesus' teaching, these are compressed statements that will be filled out in the rest of Scripture. But what we're seeing is that the harvest is a point of finality. The harvest represents the culmination of all things. Christ will come. The, the sickle will be sent out. The, wheat, the tares and the wheat will ultimately be separated. And back in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is making the simple point that there will be a sudden culmination just as there is a sudden culmination of a ripe field. The kingdom of God is going to grow. It's going to expand. The gospel will be proclaimed to all nations. People will come to Christ. They'll believe. They'll be gathered in an innumerable host from from all the nations to give praise and glory to God for all eternity. But then the harvest is coming. The finality is coming. The day of judgment is coming. Paul provides a concise statement for this in 
1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 25, when he speaks of Christ being resurrected as the first fruits and ultimately the final resurrection of all people when Christ will hand over the kingdom to God. There's a point of finality coming. And whether you die first or the Lord returns while you live, there will be a point of finality. Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed to man to die once and after this the judgment. The certainty of permanence. So what do we do with this? You know, pastor said he's going to be preaching in Revelation, so I'm going to let him fill out what that all is going to look like when we go through Revelation. The point Jesus is making here is that there's coming a culmination. So what do we do with that? Well, I'd like you to turn uh, to 1 Peter as we just consider the implications for us here momentarily. If the kingdom of God will certainly succeed, and if those in Christ are indeed citizens of the kingdom of God, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, awaiting the return, and we're convinced that the kingdom of God will succeed, how then should we live? And two passages from the, from the epistles of Peter are gripping for us. After Peter rehearses the glories of our salvation, of what Christ has accomplished, and that all those who put their faith and trust in Christ alone for their salvation, right? That, that's what we're talking about when we're talking about citizens of the kingdom of God. It's those who look to Christ alone those who repent of their sins and believe in Christ, those whose lives are now characterized by repentance and belief. And he tells us that for those people, there's an inheritance that cannot be taken away from you stored up in heaven. Note, not on earth, not by making a perfect nation, not by, not by doing uh, all of these things for, for a Christian reconstruction. No, your treasure is in heaven being reserved for you. So verse 13, after he's established this and established what we have in Christ, he says, therefore, because of what you have in Christ, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you believe in the certainty of the kingdom of God, that it will succeed? Do you believe that Christ will come? Do you believe that there will be a, a new heavens and new earth as revealed in Scripture. Peter says, okay, be sober-minded. Think according to reality then and set your hope fully on the certainty 
of the revelation of Jesus Christ. Well, Peter, what does that look like? Verse 14, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Set your hope fully on the revelation of Jesus Christ and pursue pursue a life that honors God patterned after your Savior Jesus Christ who purchased you with His precious blood. And the rest of 1 Peter fills that out in many different relationships and how that, what that looks like. But turn, if you will, to the end then of Peter's epistles, to 2 Peter, to 2 Peter chapter 3. And in 2 Peter 3, the burden that, that is, that is uh, revealed here in, in, Peter, in Peter's heart for those to whom he writes is that, they're gonna, that they remember the certainty of the culmination of the kingdom of God. So because people are looking around saying, you know what, everything's just continuing like it has been. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? He says, no, 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 no. The kingdom of God is going to culminate. There is going to be a new heavens and a new earth. It's, it's because of God's mercy that he's waiting. But look at his exhortation in verse 11 after he reminds us that a day is coming when the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Okay, so Peter, what do we do? Well, verse 11, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt Melt as they burn, but according to this promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And it'll end by giving us four commands. But here's the here's the crux of the matter. Verse eleven: What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? If you believe in the coming of Christ, if you've been saved by the precious blood of Christ, the exhortation is based on the certainty of the revelation of God. Just like God's promise has proved certain for millennia as the harvest time has come and as the crops have, brought, have been brought in with that same kind of certainty, Jesus in his perfect word has said, look, the kingdom of God is going to culminate. The harvest is going to come. So live like you're going to see the king. If I'm part of a kingdom, I better be submitting to the king of that kingdom. And as an appeal to those who are not yet kingdom citizens, there is coming a sudden harvest. It's coming. There is coming a sudden harvest when the kingdom of God is going to be established 
permanently in righteousness. And those who are outside of the righteousness of Christ will be eternally separated from the gracious presence of God. When the harvest comes, everything will be done. When death comes, the opportunity is gone. In 2 Peter 3.7, Peter said, but by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. When the harvest comes, the ungodly will be eternally destroyed. And remember, Jesus, as he's delivering these parables in Mark, what is he doing? He's preaching the kingdom of God, the rule of God, and he's calling you, he's calling you to repent and to believe the gospel because the harvest is coming. He is coming. And God has given witness of this by raising him from the dead. And the risen, interceding King of glory is going to return as the reigning Son of God. So repent and believe the gospel. The process of planting, growth, harvesting has continued since the flood. God has sustained generation after generation, nation after nation. He ultimately sent his son, and he continues to sustain the process, but a day is coming when the catastrophic interruption will take place, and all things, all things in heaven and earth will be reconciled in Christ. The kingdom of God will certainly succeed. Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you for our King, your Son, the Messiah, the Son of Man, the Shepherd of our souls, the Captain of our salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you for the great salvation that is in Him alone. And, O Lord, we we look forward to the day when He appears We long for that day, and we pray, Lord, we pray for your mercy on those who are not ready for that day. May your word now go forth and accomplish your purposes today for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening from Truth Community Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can find church information and other helpful materials at thetruthpulpit.com. This message is copyrighted, all rights reserved.